The Book of Mark chronicles the last three years of Jesus here on earth. They were pretty intense years, to say the least. Since meeting John the Baptist, he was faced with temptations in the desert, performed miracles, healed people, gained followers, was transfigured, and died. A criminal's death. Only to be raised from the dead. What should all this matter for you and I? Join us for the last three. So tonight we kick, whoa. So tonight we kick off a brand new series. It's called The Last Three, as you saw. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark from this Sunday all the way to Easter. And the book of Mark is about the last three years of Jesus' life. And tonight we have the privilege of sitting under the teaching of Martha Alvarez, who is, as I say all the time, one of my favorite preachers, not just in Miami, but one of my favorite preachers, period. And I thought, who better to launch this series than Martha? Martha is a member of Crossbridge. She attends our Pinecrest location. Uh, she is an attorney. She leads the Women's uh, Bible Study Fellowship here. She's one of the best preachers, as I said, at Crossbridge and also just in the nation, in the world, Martha. But I want to invite, ask you to welcome Martha up as she starts our series Thank you, Pastor Carter. No pressure, right? <laughs> well, the very first thing I want to say is thank you for having me. It is a privilege and it is an honor. And truly, Brickle is one of my favorite places to come. I just love all of you. I love your spirit and your zest and your openness. And I want to say Happy New Year. So can you believe that it is really 2022? I mean, we just come out of two years that have been just absolutely unprecedented, haven't they? But people have been asking me, so I want to ask you, have you made any New Year resolutions? Have you made any resolutions for the New Year? Everybody keeps asking me that question all the last two days. And as I was thinking about that, you know, there's some of us, or maybe some of you, that love to make resolutions for the New Year. And that's a great thing. You love to set goals for this year. And then there's others that say, why bother? Because I'm not going to keep them anyways. And I always break them so you don't make any. Which category do you fall under? Well, as I was thinking about that, I think no matter which category you fall under, it seems that all of us love the idea the thought of a new year. Why is that? I think because a new year brings the hope of a new beginning. The hope of a fresh start. The hope of something better for your life. A new you. Maybe you finally want to lose that weight or take on that exercise program or a new job, a marriage, a child, a new experience. We all love the freshness of a do-over, don't we? And the ability of thinking in our minds that we can leave behind all the things that were wrong in the previous year. 
Well, I love that we're launching this new series here in Crossbridge, the last three in the Gospel of Mark. And as I was thinking about that the last couple of days preparing for this, I thought it is a perfect series. Because how wonderful to start the new year digging deep into the life of Jesus. But when Jesus came to our human world, a new era dawned. You know, Isaiah 9-2 tells us, the people walking in the darkness, and that is us without Christ, have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow, a light has dawned. With the coming of Christ, and we just celebrated in Christmas, new hope dawned into our world. And like I said, we all love the idea of this hope. But guess what? It is only in Christ that that hope is possible. Because in Christ, it's a God himself extends his arm out to you and gives you the real opportunity of starting over. And you know what he says? He says, don't dwell on your past mistakes. Of course, learn from them, but don't dwell. So this idea of starting over and leaving the past behind it's actually biblical. Isaiah 43, 18 tells us, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. If you're continually looking back behind you with regret and with shame, if I'm looking back, you cannot be looking forward to the new thing that God wants to do in your life and in mine. So let's step in together into this 2022 with renewed hope. And I love that that's what we're going to do in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to encounter the real Jesus. And the real Jesus is going to bring you real hope in whatever situation you're in. And he will bring you real transformation in your life. Are you excited for that? For a year of transformation? And then I was thinking about what Pastor Carter was saying a minute ago. You know, he was saying that you can belong before you believe. And I love that, that you say that here and that you even have a sign right outside. Because maybe you're sitting here or you're watching online and you're thinking, who is this real Jesus that she's talking about? I mean, or maybe you're just going through a period of doubt Maybe these past two years have been so hard that you're questioning, is God real? Does he really love me? So I want to encourage you, stay tuned through this entire series until Easter. Let the gospel of Mark speak into your heart and into your life about who this Jesus is. And your questions, they're welcome here because we all have questions. Well, let's read from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance 
for the forgiveness of sins. And in all the country of Judea and Jerusalem, all were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt, kind of funny, around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, before I dig deep in here, I want to just give you some background since we're starting the Gospel of Mark. And so, who was the author? Well, most biblical scholars and the early church fathers attribute this to John Mark. And if you remember John Mark, we see him in Scripture. He was actually the one who accompanied Paul and Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey. But you know what happened? He abandoned them sometime during that journey. And so when Paul embarks on his second missionary journey, he tells Barnabas, I don't want John Mark to come along. He's a deserter. And it was such a disagreement that it separated Paul and Barnabas. And so talk about new beginnings. This deserter has the honor and the privilege of having written down the very first gospel for all eternity. Our God is a God of new opportunities and renewed hope. And you know what? Peter called him my son. Some say that it was through the eyes of Peter that John Mark wrote this gospel. And Paul eventually sent for him, and there was restoration. So our God is a God of redemption. Well, Mark wrote around 60 AD. And so why did Mark write the gospel? For that matter, why did, you, why did Luke and John, Matthew? Well, obviously you're thinking the Holy Spirit, right? And God ordained. But there's also a practical reason for the timeline of the Gospels. You see, for the first 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Gospel was spread orally, verbally. And there was really very little chance of distortions, of people changing the stories, because the eyewitnesses were still alive. And if someone made up something, they would have said, that's not the way it happened. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians starts listing the eyewitnesses for us. And in one place, he says there was over 500 men and women that saw the resurrected Jesus. And he said, you want to know the truth? Go speak to them. Verify the facts. You know, I love that. That Christianity, it's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. It is based on undeniable proof facts and eyewitnesses. And as an attorney, I love that about our faith. But then a generation later, these eyewitnesses are going to begin to die off, right? And so the gospel accounts needed to be written so that someone couldn't make up the Jesus that they want or change the story. And so Mark is the very first one to write, and then the other gospel writers. And Mark presents to us the real Jesus. Because you know a Jesus 
to our making. He's not going to transform us. He's not going to challenge us. So be ready to be encouraged, be ready to be challenged, and be ready to be transformed. And Mark begins with a bang. Very first verse, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He begins right in with Jesus, and he calls him the Christ. Now, to you and to me, that doesn't say much because we use those two names all the time as synonyms, right? But do you know what Christ in the ancient Greek was? It was Christos, and it meant the anointed one, actually the anointed king. So Mark is saying that Jesus is the king. And then he says he's the son of God. You know, somebody may be reading that, and they may be thinking, well, angels are sons of God. Any believer could be called a son of God. Does that mean that Jesus could have just been this great human king or this angelic king? Well, that's exactly what Mark is going to answer. He's going to tell us three things in these verses. Who this king really is how you can meet him, and where he's going. Because where this king is going transforms your life and mine. So the very first one, who this king really is. Verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Wow. Mark begins with a bombshell. I mean, this is life-altering, history-making. See, Isaiah, in Isaiah 40, had prophesied that one day the Lord himself would come to Jerusalem. And a messenger would prepare the way. And Mark is saying, that time has come. That messenger is John the Baptist. And the Lord that was prophesied hundreds of years before is Jesus Christ. And the word Lord, translated from the Hebrew, means Yahweh. Yahweh, the personal covenant name of God. The name that God used to reveal himself to Moses in that burning bush. See, what Mark is saying and what he's claiming is that Yahweh, the God of Israel, the creator God of the entire universe, the ruler and judge of all the earth, has come in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he's claiming that Jesus is God. Right there in the very first two verses, Mark wastes no time in letting us know who this Jesus really is. And you know what that means? That this transcendent God is so loving and he's so interested in you and in your salvation that he broke through the wall of separation of heaven and earth, the wall between man and God, and entered our world and took on human flesh. See, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, 
said this in one of his sermons. When the humanity of God appears, his love can no longer be hidden. In what way indeed could he have better commended his love and kindness than by assuming my flesh and yours? What greater proof could he have given of his mercy than by taking upon himself the very thing which needed mercy? Let man and woman infer from this how much God cares for you. Let him or her know from this what God thinks about you and what God feels about you. Learn from what he was made for you how much he makes of you so that his love may show itself to you from his humanity. So by becoming a man, God is demonstrating his undeniable and great love for you. It takes my breath away. How does meditating on the humanity of Christ deepen your assurance of God's love for you? If you're going through a dry season, if you're going through a season of doubt, will you just ponder what this God did by becoming Christ and walking on this earth? So Mark, he's given us quite an introduction to Jesus, hasn't he? Jesus is God. He is the king. He is the king. And we can give him our lives because he is the king that loves you and loves me. So how do we meet this king? Or where do we meet this king that loves us? Well, Mark tells us that it's in the wilderness. In the wilderness. See, in general, we meet with God in the wilderness. The people of Israel met God where? In Sinai, in the wilderness. Moses met God from the burning bush in the wilderness. Jacob wrestled with God and had a transforming encounter that he walked with a limp where? In the wilderness. See, the wilderness is actually a very important theme in the Bible. And when you think of the wilderness, I don't want you to think of a forest where there's life and there's animals and where you can survive and where you can hunt. I want you to think of a place that is barren because the word here actually means desert. A wilderness is a place that cannot sustain life. It's a place of thorns where nothing grows. It's a place of thirst where there is no water. It's a place of loneliness. Jesus went into the wilderness alone to be tempted. So why would God meet us in the wilderness? Why? I mean, the Israelites, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. What did they learn there? That only God could provide for them. They needed the manna every day. God had to give it. If they stored it, it would grow moldy. If they wanted water, Moses had to strike the rock. See, the wilderness is a spiritual experience where we understand and we realize that we must depend on God above all else. C.S. Lewis says that we understand the wilderness experience when you look deep into your heart. 
and you understand that there are things that you need, that your heart needs, that this world will never provide for you. When you look into your heart and you realize that there are longings and areas of desire and dry places that can only be met by God and God alone. See, when you first fall in love and you get married, or let's say you take the trip that you've been dying to take, or you get the job of your dreams, or you get that promotion that you've been waiting for, it feels like all your needs are met, like you don't need anything else. But what happens so quickly? It fades away and it doesn't satisfy you. Even the very best marriages, even the very best jobs or the best vacation, eventually that feeling of fulfillment and satisfaction fades away. It cannot fulfill the deepest longing of your heart. Have you ever felt like I achieved this goal and now what? doesn't feel as good as I thought it was going to feel? Have you ever really worked hard for something, and then when you got it, you thought, I thought it would feel better. You just needed something else, right? You needed to add something else to keep going. See, that wilderness experience, it's when you look to something for hope, and it didn't meet, it didn't meet you. It wasn't adequate or it left you alone, and you realize that you were looking for that bread of life in the wrong thing, that you were looking for the living water in a well that wasn't meant to be, because all bread in this life, except the bread of life, will grow moldy. All wells in this life, except the living water, will run dry. And so, where does John the Baptist call the people to be baptized so they can have this experience in the wilderness? And so baptism, it really, you know, we read it here and we think it was something new. It really was not something new. See, the Jews would baptize the Gentiles, converts, in order for them to become Jewish. But John did it in a way that was new. Because a Jewish person never would have been baptized. And John said that everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, had to go out into the wilderness, teaching us that we all need a Savior. Another thing, when the Gentile converts would be baptized, they would cleanse themselves with water from head to toe. But John is saying for the very first time in all of history that you cannot baptize yourself, that he needed to baptize you, and then Jesus would come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know what he was teaching us by that? That we cannot save ourselves. We cannot. And then John preaches repentance. Repentance is a change of life. It's having a new direction and a new course in your life. And that's exactly what Jesus calls us to. See, I met the Lord in the wilderness. The very first time I met Jesus Christ, I was pregnant with my first daughter. My husband had an aneurysm of the heart, and they told us it was inoperable. There was not one doctor in all of Miami, in all of Florida, not one surgeon that would take his case. They basically said, go home and make the most of the days that you have left. 
you're like a ticking time bomb. So I thought I'd be a widow in my 20s and my daughter would be an orphan. And I realized that my intellect, my degree, my profession, all the things that I esteemed as so valuable meant nothing. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ in that wilderness. And of course, the Lord met me and I thank him because I am never the same person. And he did a miracle. He broke through with his light into my life. And a surgeon in Houston who was world-renowned was the only one who had been the first one that had done a heart transplant. And he said, this case is even more difficult, but he took it on for the glory of God. And my husband was by my side when my daughter was born. But you know, ever since then, I've had so many other wilderness experiences Times in my life where I have looked to the wrong thing to give me meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction. And the Lord has had to set my heart straight and my, realign my priorities. I want to ask you this evening, what is your wilderness? What are those places in your heart that aren't satisfied? What are those places, those longings that you desire? And I wonder what John the Baptist would tell us to repent from if he was here. Would he say, stop looking to money and success, to marriage and to family, to likes on Instagram, to your physical body, to working out, to fitness, for fulfillment? Look to Christ. So whatever your wilderness is, where is that deep, needy place in your heart, will you invite Jesus, your king, who's God there, and will you allow him to fill your heart and satisfy you? That's what he desires to do. That longing in your heart, that nagging sense that that tank is never full, will only be satisfied in Christ. So he's our king and he's our God and we meet him in the wilderness when we realize that nothing else but him can fulfill us and that we cannot survive without him. But where is he going? Because where he's going transforms your life and mine and he is going to the cross. See, John the Baptist tells us in verse 3, he says, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. And when I read that, it sounds odd, because I thought salvation is not by works. It's by faith, by grace in Jesus Christ. Why do I have to prepare the way? And why do I have to make those crooked paths straight? But you see, to ancient people, this did not sound odd, because the way means road. And when a king would come to, a, to any kingdom, and when he would come to visit, the people would have to take the roads and level them, take all the boulders out, all the rocks, make the path straight. They would even make a new highway in honor of that king. And that was a lot of work. And the king would send a messenger ahead of him, maybe months before, so that they could prepare the path like John the Baptist did. So the king, in those days, in order to receive a king, 
It took work. But look at the beauty of your king. He does all the work. You do not prepare anything. He went to the cross. Everywhere else in the Gospel of Mark, where that word road is, it talks about the road to the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is at the heart of Mark's message. And usually, where does a king go but to a throne? A throne represents a king's power and prestige. But our king, he did not go to a throne. He went to a cross, the opposite of power and prestige, the epitome of helplessness and lowliness. Yet that's the beauty. Because the irony is that our King Jesus, by going to the cross, that is the victory and the beauty about him. And on that cross, Jesus entered the ultimate wilderness for you and for me so that he can meet you in your wilderness, in your heart where you need him. A wilderness of thorns, literally, a crown of thorns. A wilderness of thirst, of rejection, of loneliness. I mean, on that cross, humanly speaking, Jesus lost everything for you and for me. On that cross, he was even separated from the Father for the very first time. He was separated from the Father, so that the Father could be united to you. Isn't that beautiful? What our Christ, what our King and our God and our Savior did for us. And now by grace, we can have a relationship with him, with the Lord. And John said he would baptize with water, but Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is your Lord, the spirit of the living God lives in you. That always blows me away. The same spirit, the same power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in the resurrection lives in you. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters at creation, that brought forth life, lives in you. The same Holy Spirit that sustained Jesus on the cross till his final cry, it is finished, lives in you and lives in me. And that Holy Spirit transforms your life and transforms mine. And there are so many ways that this transformation takes place if we believe these truths. And I'm only going to give you three quick ones. The very first one, he transforms your heart. See, every human heart has this motivational drive behind it. It's the reason that you do the things you do. It's the reason that you get up in the morning. And you want to know what the drive is, psychologists have said, behind most people? That drive is fear. Fear of missing out. Fear of not being good enough, so you become a workaholic. Fear of not measuring up. Fear of not being loved. Fear of being rejected. But this is the reality. God chose you. You were chosen. See, Philip Yancey says, God loves people because of who God is, not because of who we are. 
You know what that means? That means that your heart can have the assurance and the security that God loves you and that you belong to him. And so the motivation of your heart is not fear of not being good enough. It's not fear of not measuring up. The motivation of your heart is transformed by the spirit and it's replaced with joy and assurance. Then he transforms your suffering because Jesus went to the cross. See, if you're suffering and you tell somebody, this is my situation, and they tell you, well, this is what you need to do to fix it. It's not very comforting, is it? But if you give somebody your heart and you tell them what you're going through and they tell you, I understand, I get it, I've been there, I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to strengthen you, I promise to never leave you, and I will see you through, that brings you comfort and peace. And that is what Jesus does. See this poem, Jesus of the Scars, because I was talking about a throne. It says, the other gods did ride, but thou stumbled to the throne because he is enthroned now in heaven. To our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And no other God has wounds, but thou alone. Jesus brings hope and comfort and meaning to your suffering. And then the last thing, he transforms your future. Do you worry about tomorrow? Do you worry about what may happen? I mean, COVID, the world, the pandemic, your finances, your marriage, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your child. See, Jesus says, I'm already in your tomorrows. He assures you of what is going to happen. He's going to be there with you. And he says, in the end, you're going to be redeemed, even these bodies of ours. Because Jesus had a physical body that was glorified, we will have new bodies. He will redeem us spiritually and physically, including the material world. Our hope in Christ is secure. You know, I have seen the power of the gospel in the lives of these women in jail like I have never seen in my life. I've never been called to do prison ministry. But this last summer in August, through BSF, I was called to teach the Bible to women inmates in Homestead Correctional Facility. And when I got there, you could feel the hardness. You could feel the lack of joy. I mean, talk about a wilderness, right? And when the very first day that I got there, the guards make us wait forever. They do roll call. They call the women. By the time they finally let us in, it was dinner time of the inmates. And the guards told the women, choose, go with these women up there to the chapel and learn about God or have dinner. So five women came with us. They went to bed hungry that night. The next week we went back, we had 10. The next week we went back, we had 15. The next week we went back, we had 25. Then we went back and we had 35. And I would drive home every Monday night crying. How can these women go to bed without food? And I would get to my house and I would see a full refrigerator and my heart would be broken. See, God was enlarging my heart and giving me love for these women. So I called the warden and I said, could I please bring food? He wouldn't return. I emailed. I called the governor's office. I called the senator. Long story short, I was approved. And I was able before Christmas to bring them chicken sandwiches, Christmas cookies, and soft drinks. When I get there, two of the guards said, could we have some of those sandwiches? Did you bring for us? I have to give it to them. So two inmates come in. And I, at the very end, we had like 30-something and I was out of chicken sandwiches. 
And one of the women that was one of the most hardened ones there that had just gotten out of solitary confinement, huge lady gets up, takes one of her sandwiches and says, here, you could have one of mine. That is huge for them to share in there. Another one is looking at her Christmas cookie with tears and she wouldn't eat it. And I'm like, well, you, what's wrong? She goes, no, no, I just want to look at it. Then we finish eating. We go into the Bible study time, and she says, I want to be the first to share. You have been telling me that God is real, that God hears my prayers, that God loves me. She said, the other night, I was in the library. They have a dilapidated library, looking at a Southern cooking magazine. And she said, and I saw Christmas cookies. And in my cell at night, I looked up to God, and I said, I'd love a cookie this year. But I never thought he would. She said, and you brought a cookie that looks exactly like the one in the magazine. God loves me. When we finished that night, another woman prayed and she said, thank you, Lord, for transforming my heart because I have met Jesus. And then as we were leaving, they're not supposed to touch us and we're not supposed to touch them. That night, each one, 40 women lined up and hugged us and thanked us for coming and bringing them the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus transforms their hearts and yours, their suffering and yours, and gives you hope even in a prison. So 2022, where do you need that hope? Jesus is the hope. Let's pray.